Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my guest, Chris Matakis, on the line with us today. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm well, man. Thank you for having me. Great to be connected. Oh, very excited to have you on the podcast today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Uh, what's up, guys? So my name is Chris Matakis. I live in uh, central New Jersey. I do a couple things. I run a jiu-jitsu school in Florence, New Jersey, as well as I'm an author and a mindset coach. And uh, when I'm not doing those things, I am alone in the woods as much as possible. Very cool. lot to unpack there. First things first, when did you start doing jujitsu? Jujitsu. Uh, I started jujitsu. Yeah, I started right after I graduated college. So I would have been 22. I actually took my first lesson a week after I graduated because I was bored. I needed something to do. I needed to write a passage. I didn't feel like I was ready for the real world. And I took my intro class and I fell in love with it. And that was then my entire 20s was spent on a jiu-jitsu mat. Wow. And author-wise, um, kind of explain to me how you got into writing and, and what that process kind of looked like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I th- think I've written 13 books now. and oh, ca- uh, casual. 11. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's pretty much I use writing to think and uh, to try to solve a problem. So when I started jujitsu, that's when I really got into philosophy and psychology. And I kind of use the books to solve whatever problem I'm currently trying to entertain, knowing that other people are experiencing that same problem. So uh, for me, it's a way of like externally thinking because thinking is so unbelievably difficult when you put it on paper, it becomes a little bit easier to understand what's going on. That's very interesting. I think that's similarly why I started this podcast. Um, I used to do a bunch of writing on the internet for places like Elite Daily, Thought Catalog, mostly like relationship centric kind of uh, musings and dumb shit that really had no business being published at the time. <laughs> um, I'm curious what like your what what uh, what the path was going from you know someone who's like you know like a sport related industry like jiu-jitsu right like that's like a very physical it is mental obviously there's a lot of mental um strength required to to you know practice in that discipline but like what's like kind of the segue that kind of brought you down that path from writing and jiu-jitsu like they're all very multi-disciplined kind of things so i imagine somewhere along the lines in high school or college or certainly thereafter you kind of started asking like the what now kind of question yeah, yeah, dude, you're right. Uh, you hit the nail on the head with the multidisciplinary approach because they share an underlying theme. And I realized that, you know, the experiences I was having on a jiu-jitsu mat were essentially representations of the same ideas I was reading about when I went to the library. And there were two very different disciplines expressing the same idea. Mm. And um, I kind of fell in love with philosophy and jiu-jitsu at the same time. It's like, for whatever reason, at 22, I woke up and I was ready to start being a student. I wish that had happened before in high school and college. But, um, I say the same yeah, thing about I, I, 35, so I understand completely. Yeah, right? Yeah, no doubt. And I just feel like it's it's the same fundamental behavior process that leads to success in any discipline. And it just so happens that jujitsu was the vehicle by which I came to learn that process. And then once I, you know, the idea, like once you, you master one thing, you can master anything. It was that same approach because now, I can view the world through the lens of jujitsu and see things uh, through those eyes. That's interesting. I kind of do a similar thing with photography. Obviously, I'm a photographer. I've actually started seeing the world in a lot of a like a way different light than prior to picking up a camera. Like I, I make the a comment a lot when I'm interviewing other photographers. I'm like, I start seeing life in frame lines. 
like and i don't know i'm sure you don't like walk around thinking like oh i could like tackle that guy and and you know chuck him out <laughs> that's not what i mean but it is funny how something that you take and you master and how you can like use that and imply it to like other aspects of your life um you mentioned like having wished you had kind of come to this stuff earlier than 22 i feel like 22 is a wildly young age to be you know very mentally well adjusted to the world um what was like your growing up like like you know explain to me like high school and where'd you go to college and like what was that kind of you know family life like for you yeah uh i am very fortunate i had an awesome family life i I love my mom i love my dad i have a brother who's 11 months younger than me and uh we grew up in central new jersey uh you know solid middle class didn't really want for anything and um i played sports my whole life and then when i got to high school i fell in love with football and that was it right that was my life for uh, a long time and then i went to college to play football and like two weeks in i destroyed my ankle and couldn't play anymore so uh, yeah yeah that uh, at the time was awful but like anything i find that you know carl young has this idea for a tree's branches to reach to heaven its roots have to reach to hell and all the yeah, it's a powerful one. And all the hells I've experienced have eventually led to heavens. And I believe that it was me getting hurt in college. I, I went to Frostburg State to play football, couldn't play, ended up transferring, graduated from Salisbury. And it was that gap, that like four-year gap of needing a rite of passage, needing a physical pursuit that sort of led me to jujitsu. So in that sense, I'm very grateful that my ankle exploded <laughs> and it led me to the mat. Yeah, it's funny how, I mean, I ha- I think it's in the last five years where I've been able to take like incredibly negative aspects of my life and turn them into like a positive and a strength at 20 or 18, forget about it. It would have been a complete and utter impossibility. Um, so you're 22 years old, you graduate college, you've kind of fallen in love with jujitsu. What, what about like your life and like what were you going through that kind of caused you, I'm going to say pick up the pen, but likely, you know, your keyboard. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of phrasing that. Um, dude, you know, I, I kind of felt like, and I'm sure you can relate to this where growing up, it was always, you know, we're getting you ready for the real world. And I graduated college and as much as I could be was in the real world. And I didn't feel any different. I didn't feel prepared. I still felt like a boy. Like I, I hadn't adopted any responsibility. So I was like, all right, I need to write a passage that our Western culture doesn't provide. And the best rite of passage I could create was on a jujitsu mat and in a library. And I, I just kind of like went through those different disciplines. And I imagine the same way, like what photography has been for you, like Carl Jung had this idea that you had to go down the road of a discipline to remove all the unnecessary parts of you and use that restriction to allow for creation. And along the way, you acquire a unique skill set that then, like you said, you can apply to the rest of your life. You can look at life through the lens of photography. So I, I don't even know if it matters what the discipline is, but I feel like we all need a discipline. We all need to be an apprentice. Has Has photography been an apprenticeship for you? Totally. In that I've been doing it on my own and not necessarily at the hands, you know, learning from someone else. But it was one of those things where it was with me when I needed it most unknowingly, right? Like it was, I've told the story a million times. I had a camera collecting dust in my closet. I picked it up like one time and then like put it back in my closet and never thought about it again. And then just somewhere in that, you know, last 
couple of years, you know, you start searching for what do I do now? And very similarly, I had a very kind of, you know, go to high school, get good grades, go to college, graduate, get a degree, you get the first job out of college, then you need to get the second job to, to make more money. So you can get a nicer car and you can buy a nicer watch and then you can get a better apartment. And like I kept doing all those things year after year after year after year chasing you know, really just competing with my peers on like how much money I should be making or how much bottle service we should be spending on a Friday and giving really no thought context whatsoever to like, oh, is John happy? Like, am I fulfilled in what I'm doing? Am I enjoying my life? I mean, like, don't, don't get me wrong. I was enjoying my time, but there was no like, there was no like subs, nothing beyond the surface of happiness. And I think like whenever you get into a situation where like in the last two years, the basic premise of your life disappears, right? Like when you're no longer allowed to leave your house, when I was confronted with job loss, when all these things start mounting, you're like, well, what the fuck do I do now? And in my case, it was, I packed my car with a couple hundred rolls of, you know, film and I drove around the country. I took fucking thousands of thousands of photos and like, I figured it out. Right. And I think like, you, you know, similarly, I wish I'd been, would be able to have made this decision at 25, let alone 35. But I think things kind of happen and fall into place as they should. And the mm -hmm. the funny thing is, like, I don't think 25 year old John could have been, you know, capable of learning the lessons that I did now. Right. So yeah. there's a part of me yeah. that's like, fuck, I wish I picked up a camera at 25, but I don't think I would have been able to appreciate it. It would have been like just posting shit on Instagram for no reason versus like actually mm -hmm. being mindful to what I'm creating. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of how I, I view it. it it's like, I, I, you know, I learned at the hand and the foot of myself, right? Like through the practice of it, through the absorption of every possible um, piece of material I could find on YouTube, books, documentaries, etc. Dude, good for you. That's incredible. What? Where'd you go? Because I, I did the same thing when I was thirty. I just put everything aside, and for a summer, I went to all the national parks. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, California was on fire <laughs> when I did my trip. <laughs> but I started off in Jersey. I live in Jersey as well. I went to Pittsburgh, Chicago, um, South Dakota, um, Montana, Wyoming, uh, Idaho. Um, New Mexico, I went to Utah, I did Arizona, Texas, St. Louis, and home. So kind of like I did 3,300 miles in like kind of a U. Dude, that's amazing. Yeah, it was great. I think, you know, I'm not saying everyone has the ability to do something like that. Like I was in a financial situation where I got paid a very generous severance package, which paid for my trip. Like I didn't have to worry about kids or, you know, whatever. So I was in a unique situation where it was the perfect timing for something like that. But, you know, if you're in your mid twenties and you don't have the constraints of working from a building and you can kind of do whatever you want, I think I learned more about myself in those 30 days than I did in 30 years of life. Yeah. hundred percent. Dude, I felt the same way. I was so in that same way of starting jujitsu at 22 after college and feeling like I needed to write a passage, uh, fast forward seven years later at 29, I'm about to turn 30. I still feel like I need another rite of passage. So I did the same thing. I went away for about three months and just stayed alone in all the national parks. And I developed a deeper relationship with myself in those three months in the previous 30 years because I had to, because you had to rely on 
your own company, yeah. which is something that's very easy not to do in this culture. Yeah, it's funny because I think in the, like the last year, I've gotten a little bit more into like meditation and and yoga to some extent. I'm super inflexible, so I don't enjoy yoga at all. But the practice of it and that of meditation have made a very marked improvement in just like my daily life, in like my in my mindfulness, in my ability to concentrate on the moment that I'm in. And like 25 year old John to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like fucking (laughs) meditating, like yoga, shut the hell up. Like what girl are you trying to hook up with that is a yoga instructor, right? That's what 25 year old John would have thought. But it's made such a Mm -hmm. huge impact in my life. And I think had I not had that solitary 30 days, I mean, you're never really alone when you have an iPhone in your pocket. But for, for, for all intents and purposes, I was left alone. You know, I was by myself. I was having phone conversations with people and friends like on the road and and really having like kind of this you know step back approach to my life that I don't think I ever really had an opportunity to have at any other point in my life and it made a huge huge impact on me and what I wanted to do moving forward um so it sounds like you had a very similar experience at 30 yeah yeah it's funny when you go off it's kind of like I view a lot of things through that lens of the hero's journey, just because like academically, that's all I'm focused on. Cause I think it's, it's the best behavior process we can enact regardless of what's happening in our lives. And when you go off on your own hero's journey and you come back, you can't do the same things, mm-hmm. you, you know, more, you are more, and it would be a disservice to the journey you went on to just repeat what you did prior to the journey. So for me, that was the catalyst to like, all right, I'm opening up my own school. And uh, then I met my wife, like, a couple months later, it was like all these things catalyzed into that transformation. How was it different for you when you came back? In a lot of ways, it was good. And in some ways, it was bad. I think it makes you reevaluate pretty much everything. And well, at least it made me reevaluate everything in my life, like the people in my life, the fortunateness that I had, you know, it, it, it coincided with a very weird time in history, right? Like, so it was in the middle of a pandemic. It's not like I could then enact greater change in my life because I was still confined to my house, right? Um, I think from the ability to alter the way my brain works in that I now am living a life in a much more positive fashion, I think is probably the greatest change that I've really been able to enact from that trip. I think, you know, I had a, 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 uh, subconscious mind coach on the podcast last week, Betsy Paik. And Betsy was teaching me a lot about how like your mind works, right? We use 10% of our brains and like half of it is conscious thought and the other half of it is unconscious thought. And I never really put much thought into that, but I have for the duration of my life been irrationally confident. I've always believed that everything will work out. And you know, whether it's because I'm a Sagittarius or whatever the fuck it is, I've always believed like things will work out. And that is sort of that kind of uh, positive subconscious in, in me that has kind of led me to be successful in, the, in these new endeavors that I'm trying and that I, you know, have, have thankfully been able to be successful at. Um, I'm curious, obviously, you you said you wrote 13 books, and obviously you are a jujitsu teacher. Um, the completion of one novel, let alone 13, and the ability to kind of open up your own school is like two huge, amazing life accomplishments. Um, do you look at things differently when you look back on like one book one versus book five, you know, crossing X threshold for students in your class? Like how do those achievements kind of um, fill you up, you know, today versus like maybe say a couple years ago? Yeah, um, man, it's a great question. So 
I used to think of them, I guess, as like individual achievements, like get this thing done, put that trophy up on your shelf. But now I kind of view it as just like the natural unfolding process. Mm -hmm. And like, I know you talk about, you know, you're very interested in how people transform pain and difficult experiences into the blessings they now enjoy. And I, I spend much of my time in nature and I think nature is a great teacher. And if you think of a flower, um, releasing from the bud, it's like an unfolding process. It happens upon its own time. There's nothing you can do to force it. And when it's the bud, it's no less useful or meaningful than the flower. It's just, that's the stage it's in. So with the jujitsu school, you know, 50 students, 100 students, 150 students, it's just this unfolding. And I tend to be very impatient and I very quickly want to go from <laughs> point A to point B. Yeah. And I will miss the unfolding and the journey along the way. So like for the books, it's always, what problem are you trying to solve and do your best to solve that problem today? And for the jujitsu school, it's, you know, why are you teaching to serve people through jujitsu? And if you serve people today, the business will take care of itself. So I, my, I think my weakness is very much looking ahead, being very goal oriented. And my current focus is not sacrificing the present at the altar of achievement, which is very easy to do. Ooh, yeah, that's super easy to do. Um, I've sort of found myself completely without forecasting of the future. Like I've sort of, I don't know if I've given up on it or if, you know, COVID will do that to a person. But I know like, <laughs> you know, if so much of my life is like, where am I going to be in five years? Where am I going to be in five years? And I just don't give a shit about that anymore. Like I'm sor sort of being like, in, like hyper present on what I have going on. So it's like whether I've got a photo shoot tomorrow or next Tuesday or whatever, a podcast guest tomorrow or the next day, I'm like hyper focused on making the most out of those interactions when they come up versus like worrying about, well, okay, when am I going to be published, you know, shooting the cover of Vogue, right? Like all those things will sort of like you to use your analogy unfold as they will and or won't, you know, sometimes flowers don't bud. But like at the end of the day, like I'm building myself a very like here now present moment because so much of life is like a crapshoot, right? Like I could get cancer tomorrow and that's it, kaput. So it's like, instead of trying to worry about where I'm going to be five years from now, I'm super hyper-focused on like, am I happy today? If I'm not happy, like what can I do to like mitigate the fact that I woke up in a funk? If someone around me is like not being uh, the best of their capabilities or whatever, like what can I do to positively impact their day or like talk them through something that they're going on? In a lot of ways, like my life has become much more about other people versus myself, just trying to like sort of uh, craft a life that is both like positive and beneficial for like the people who I keep in, you know, in my company. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And dude, is there a faster way to happiness than focusing on other people? It's hard when you just focus on you. Yeah, uh, it's super hard when you focus on you because there's always something else, right? You're always, you know, looking towards that next thing. And, you know, I used to be very, very uh, materialistic, very, very worried about, you know, dollars and cents and like things that don't really give any um, benefit to your life, right? Like I moved over the summer and... I was just like paralyzed by the thought of getting rid of things that like I had spent money on. And I was like, holy shit, like that's such a diseased kind of mindset. It was like sick that I would look at something that like legit a sweater that I got seven Christmases ago that I wore once. And I'm like, oh, I can't yeah. get rid of that. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like donate it, get rid <laughs> of it. Like it's just really funny how 
10 years ago, I would have just like boxed it up, put it in storage and never thought about it. And then when I was 45, I'd be like, oh man, I've been paying for this storage unit for 20 years. I should probably see what's in it. But like that's changed a lot. Um, I also think because I've gotten very comfortable in my own skin through the, the aid of like therapy and like a million other things that I've been working on individually, I now have the confidence to do the things that I never thought I could do. Um, but like I would imagine that being that you've been like successful in, you know, writing books and also the, the I think the practice of jujitsu would just naturally make someone a confident person. Um, how does like your your daily kind of life center around how you're feeling mentally and also physically? Um, because you have two wildly like different but also similar quote unquote careers. Yeah, yeah. So and and then there there's a third part of that, right? Like I I write, I teach jujitsu, but I also, like you said, you had a subconscious coach on, like I also coach people on mindset because dude, there is nothing more important than the framework through which you're interpreting your reality. And I just feel like the plight of the modern individual is building a life that's aligned with your soul when everything else is working against that. We have so many distractions. We have, if you just think of like the general Western lifestyle, like it does not serve us. It, it does not provide health and it doesn't provide physical health or mental health. Mm -hmm. So, so much of my life almost feels like I'm almost kind of like walling myself off from Western culture <laughs> and then productively trying to step in and serve people through jujitsu, through writing, through coaching. So for me, like just about every morning, it's a walk through the park at sunrise uh, with my puppy and hopefully with my wife. And then uh, every day is reading in the same way where we have to sleep. For me, I have to read. I have to fill my head with good ideas because if I don't, bad ideas can creep in. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I get to work, you know? So during the day it's writing, coaching calls, getting things together for the school. And then at night it's serving my students at the school and then trying with life and limb to get to bed by 10 PM for a good night's sleep. Oh, God bless you. I, <laughs> man, if I could go to sleep before like 12, 1 AM, I think I, I still like, I'm very conscious on when I wake up in the morning because while I would love to sleep for like eight full, solid, beautiful hours, it's just not realistic for me to go to bed at one and then sleep till nine. Like you've already killed yeah. like three hours of your day. So I, I, I would love to be that way, but I'm, I'm for sure not. Um, but it seems like to me, like you have like these really three crucial pillars of your life. Um, if mm -hmm. like, you know, let's say for argument's sake, one of them is like, you have a bad day at the gym, right? You're, you know, a kid's not, you know, learning the lessons. He's not like progressing, um, whatever might go on there, or you got writer's block. You're incapable of completing the chapter that you set out for yourself for that day, or you have a really shitty, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one session with a, with a client. How does like, d does one of the other pillars kind of give the ability to lift you up across the other too, or is it if like, do you feel yourself flutter at all? If one goes and, you know, on like a daily basis, bro, uh, are you familiar with Carl Jung? Not really. No. So Carl Jung was one of the depth psychologists who he, he really is like a father of psychology. And he had this idea that what we're really seeking deep down is wholeness. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we want achievement. Yeah. You want perfection, but if you're going to be perfect, it implies you're complete. So just try to be complete. And that is a lifetime's worth of work. And I find that like the more I view the different areas of my life as bank accounts, mm -hmm. like, like my health is a bank account. My marriage Ooh. is a bank account. My three businesses is a bank account. And I'm either withdrawing or depositing. Ooh, that's and, good. Yeah. Because bro, you know, we all know that if one of them runs empty, 
the rest of your life falls apart. Well, you're going to pull it from one of the other accounts and and fill it in. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like in the aggregate, my goal is that all the bank accounts are trending up. Now on a given day, one may have to suffer, but not in a given week or in a given season of my life. So I, I tend to take that approach of just in search of wholeness, make the proper deposits each day, each week, each month, so they all trend up because as you said, like if any one of them really goes to hell, then everything goes to hell because your your life is only as good as the worst part of your life. Ooh, wow. I like that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Hmm. I'd never considered that before. Bro, yeah. And I, when you think about it, right, like let's just the major boxes of our life are like, how's your soul? How is your health? How's your meaningful relationships and how's your profession and your passions? And something I'll do with people is we'll run through it each week. You have to grade yourself on, you know, like an A through F system. Like, dude, how was it? And it's so awesome to use that exercise each week because in a given week, it's okay. It's a small unit of time. But if you keep telling me you're giving your health an F and an F and an F, eventually we should probably address your health because it doesn't matter how wonderful your marriage and your bank account is if you're going to die of cancer, like you said. Right. And granted, there are, you know, the snake always works its way in the garden. There are some things that we cannot protect ourselves from, but my approach is just kind of like in the most well-rounded way, deposit into all the bank accounts to give you the best chance of a wonderful life. And hopefully the fates are kind to us. That's pretty good. I, uh, I would couple that with the fact that like, Happiness has been crucially important to me over the last couple of years, especially when you can't leave your house, right? Like you don't, you don't have the ability to do things that like normal John would do, like go to a Giants game last year or whatever. Like obviously things are different now and getting better. Um, there's, it's impossible to say that like I'm happy every single day of my life because you have things that arise on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis or whatever. Like you have bad days and good days. Um, talk to me a little bit about some of your coping mechanisms when you're not feeling like 100% yourself in full and talk to me about some things that you do on your own that kind of help you get back to like homeostasis, like hundred percent, you know, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think first it's important to tell yourself that it's okay to feel this way, that you're not broken. There's not something wrong with you because if you have an adversarial relationship to your pain and discomfort, it just adds to the pain and discomfort. So knowing that this is a part of life and accepting it, I, uh, I'm a big fan of Jerry Seinfeld and (laughs) he drops lots of wisdom and his random things. And he had this one, I think it was like a bit about stubbing your toe on a coffee table. And he said, what I think pain is, is knowledge rushing in to fill a gap of ignorance. Like when you stubbed your toe in the middle of the night, there's a lot of knowledge telling you there's a coffee table there. And I've sort of developed this relationship with pain. This is what I work on with clients of, you know, pain as a teacher, it's your curriculum for this moment. And it's okay to feel how you're feeling. And it's a change agent that is telling you where it is you're supposed to go. Because I, I think uh, I'm, a, I'm heavily influenced by Jordan Peterson. And he says, you know, you can use meaning to orient yourself in your life. Like, what are the things you're pulled to do? What are, what are the things that your soul just wants to become? The things you gravitate toward on a day off. So that's positive meaning. But I think pain is negative meaning. And it's just as useful. And we're always either working toward a heaven we envision 
or we are trying to run away from a hell that maybe we were in or that we also envision. And I think the pain is just as much a useful teacher and probably more so than pleasure. It's like, bro, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I tore both my pecs Ooh. and it was awful. And God. I tore them because I'm an idiot, because I just kept beating up my body through like physical pursuits. And I, I can now say like, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me because I think your heart can break closed or it can break open and horrible things happen to all of us. And it's very easy to have your heart break closed and turn in. But when you recognize that like other people have also suffered and probably are suffering, your heart can break open and you can sort of use pain to break down the walls between you and other people and experience more love and connection. Yeah. I think that's one of the the great joys that I've kind of experienced over the last couple of years is like, dude, the common shared experience that we all have is beyond measure, right? Like we all go through the same shit. We all worry about paying bills unless our parents are billionaires. We all worry about whether our friends or family are going to get sick. We all like have the same insecurities, anxieties, depressions, like all these things are commonalities across, you know, the human experience. And to some extent that's like where, you know, I think social media is like that double-edged sword of like, trying to break down those like mental health stigmas, but also contributing significantly to them. Um, So it's like, you know, I love the fact that like you're now capable of like being able to relate to people like across spectrums and across, you know, continents, et cetera. Like everyone's sharing a life experience and can relate to, you know, negative thought, um, negative instances in their life experience. Everyone has the same thing, but then also like the caveat that like, you know, it, contributes significantly to mental health issues. Um, but I think to kind of just drill back into the question real quick. So like when you are having like a bad day, like you wake up and like you're sore, you don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to go for that walk. Like, is it just a conscious switch that you flip in your head to try to like be present and be positive? Is there something that you do specifically that like would allow for you to kind of mitigate those negative feelings? Dude, I, I feel like those days are not very common, but when they are, there's usually a very clear antecedent. It's usually I'm not living a physically healthy life because the mind flows flows downstream from the body. Um, like you know, there's that idea that, you know, when you go out drinking, you're borrowing from tomorrow's happiness. Well, I now view going out drinking or eating a very late dinner or watching a late movie all those things are borrowing from tomorrow's happiness. So it needs for me, it needs to be a conscious choice. And it's so funny, right? Like I have a, my coach who is a brilliant man. He works a lot with addicts and he asked them this question. Is there a chance you've had enough drugs for a lifetime? Like no pressure, no judgment. Like, is there a chance? You've always had yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just, go, I'm just assuming always. Yes. <laughs> And just presenting that with that sort of lighthearted approach. So I'll like ask myself, like, you know, is there a chance you've had enough junk food for the week? You know, is there a chance you've watched enough television for the week? And answering that question truthfully tends to mitigate those difficult days. But when it is a difficult day, the first thing I do is change my physiology because you can't outthink a problem that's caused from thinking. Mm. So if I wake up, I'm going to funk. I know I got a big day, especially like, you know, just like this, if, if we're about to have a conversation, you want to bring your best self to it. If I'm not my best self, I need to get there fast. So it might be a freezing cold shower. 
It might be a quick workout. It might be like, I just did yoga right before we came on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think physiology is the conduit through which you can change your psychology uh, as quickly as possible with um, the ability to replicate that on a moment's notice. I like that. I will attest to that. I actually woke up this morning kind of feeling just like blah, lethargic. It's, you know, rainy and dreary out. I don't know what it is by you. It's just like a shitty day yeah. out. So, you know, you open up the blinds and you're like, oh, it's like shitty out. And I like, I kind of let that fester for a bit because I, I, I have admittedly been like, super positive and super light light lately and for whatever reason again i think i'm just naturally ingrained to be that way but today i wanted to almost let that stew a little bit because i hadn't felt that in a while and i wanted to kind of sort of be mindful on what that felt like what was like i was trying to bring attention to the thing that was causing me to feel that way right like whether it was oh my you know i slept funny my back hurt a little bit or um, you know, maybe I drank too much on Friday and Saturday night and that caused me to not sleep well last night. So I was like trying to be like very, you know, thoughtful and intent on what was causing that and like sort of reflecting on that. And then I went and worked out and I felt great. Like I went for just a very casual 30 minute jog. Thankfully I've got a, a gym in my building, but I got, I started sweating. I, you know, I took a shower after I was done. I was like, fuck yeah like I, I didn't even have coffee like i didn't even eat coffee i felt so much better and it's just like one of those like super cliche things but like when you have sort of like a little bit of a mental block like getting something physically accomplished can rapidly and quickly alter your mood in a way that i don't think like i probably would have adhered to like five years ago but now it's like i'm very conscious of that and i've noticed it to be like a huge huge positive for sure Bro, good for you. That's the best fitness advice I ever heard was from Matthew McConaughey. He was like, just sweat once a day. Yeah. If you do that in the morning, you're probably going to have pretty good days. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've got a very love hate relationship with fitness in that I like, I, I liken the aspect of working out to like your health bank. Like I don't want to die at 40. So like I work out, right. It's not like I enjoy it. It's not like this is something that I love to do, but I would like to lead a like rather healthy, you know, health is wealth kind of lifestyle. So like I want to, if I'm going to drink on Friday and Saturday night, you better believe on Sunday and, and even the rest of the week, I'm going to work out to like make up for the fact that I was a degenerate on Friday and Saturday night. So like health is wealth with the caveat that I love a good red wine. Um, so it seems to me that like you've had like a very mentally well adjusted, um, you know, let's say 20 years, right? Oh, not really like 15 years, like 20 to 35 ish. I don't know how old you are. Um, kind of span. There you go. So talk to me about a time in your life when you didn't have these principles, like you have a very principled lifestyle right now. And I'm very curious what it was like before that. And if there was a specific catalyst that got you to that besides say the ankle injury, because like, I know there can be a physical impediment to growth, but like for me, the biggest impediment to my like life growth was mental and not physical. So I'm curious if there was like kind of a simultaneous, you know, mental hurdle that you had to overcome in, you know, that same kind of time period. Yeah, dude, it's interesting how we all come prepackaged with like our unique hurdles (laughs) and the unique lessons that we have to learn. And for me, somewhere deep in my psychology, I recognized that I either received love from other people or I allowed myself to experience love when I achieved things physically, like in sports. Mm. So that was my, you know, adolescence, that was high school. And then I lost that in college. And then that's what jujitsu became. And 
that was a road that I had to go down very far. And I wasn't going to get off that road until the car broke down. So for me, when I tore both pecs and dude, literally I was in two slings for four months (laughs) trying to find God, man, my wife had to put in my contacts. Bro, let's get personal. We had to install a bidet because I didn't have hands to go to the bathroom. And when you go from like, I competed in the jiu-jitsu world championships to calling my wife, can you turn the bidet on? Like that's a humbling experience. For sure. And You could also I, wear glasses, to be fair. <laughs> true, yeah. true. That's a valid point. Um, and then what, all that was built around this idea that in my entire 20s, all I did was pursue jiu-jitsu. And when my body would whisper to me, hey, you need a break, I would ignore it. And eventually those whispers became screams. Like I was training, God, there were some weeks where it was like 16, 17 training sessions a week, which is just not healthy, yeah, right? No, I, not at all. I, I was like, all right, if I'm achieving in jiu-jitsu, I could ignore all the other areas of my life. And I did. And eventually that caught up with me. So for me, it was like, I went down one road really far. You could say for the wrong reasons, but it, it all serves you. And it took a wake up call, which the only wake up call I was going to get was like a traumatic experience where I could no longer go down that road to um, sort of show the necessity of a well-rounded life rather than that. Like there are some people who are exceptions to that, right? If you're a brilliant artist and you were put on this earth to create, go do your thing. But for most of us, like that well-rounded approach is a really good prescription. Mm. It's just going to be a bit of a peculiar question, but I feel like we, you and I both have like very uncharacteristically quote unquote normal lives. Like I have a creative pursuit from a career perspective. You have like multi creative pursuits, whether it's, you know, the jujitsu, which is like physical and sport related or the writing or the mindfulness coach. What do you think? Like I would, I would look at the broader population of just like, let's say Americans and there's probably somewhere along the lines of like a 55-45 split for people who are like probably happy and people who are probably miserable. I mean, maybe more, but whatever. Let's let's say for argument's sake, it's right around 50-50. What do you think like a normal person who's got a regular old 9 to 5, going through the motions, living their life, like just day by day, trying to survive, try to pay bills, etc. What do you think is their biggest impediment in terms of like, I would say like almost flipping the switch for, for towards like happiness, but... Um, I'm just kind of curious what your, your thought process is for like people who just have like very, very mundane, normal lives and you know, they're looking for something more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a phenomenal question. I think there's a couple things that jump right out. And one is again, to go back to health. Like if you view life as a problem to solve, the more energy you have to solve the problem, the more likely you are to do so. But if you have low vitality in your body and your mind, like, dude, one of the, I'm reading a, a very difficult book right now. And my reason for making good decisions at night is so I wake up not hungover so I can read that book in the morning. Like I have a reason to do the right things and not the wrong things. Because I know if I stay up late drinking and eating pizza at midnight, I am not going to be able to intellectually consume that book. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, Whatever changes you're trying to enact in your life, if you don't have that reservoir, reservoir energy and attention to do it, you're not going to be able to. So I would start there. I would build up deposit into the bank account so you have the energy to make the changes that you want. And then I would say turn off the news and pick up a book. Hmm. You have to fill your head with good ideas. And 
I don't spend too much time watching TV, but I, I have a gym in my building too. And the news is on and bro, there's never anything useful on there ever, ever. Yeah. I mean, I, I so yeah, God, sorry. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, so you have this opportunity where if you build the habit of reading, you can download good ideas that are scarce right now. Hmm, I like that. Um, I used to look through the lens of like quote unquote success and it was like a 99% financial metric, right? It was no longer like what, what, like what would make me successful at work would be like a promotion, but it wasn't the promotion to the new job title. It was like more money, right? So like everything that I viewed as like a success in my life was monetarily associated. Um, I've since learned that like success isn't like a financial metric. It's more of like, what have I achieved and like, what am I proud of? And I look back like just over the last two years of things that I have accomplished and think, wow, holy shit, can't believe I did that. So for you, how do you go about measuring success and like, like relating it to like things that you like make you proud of what you've accomplished on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? Yeah. I, uh, there's an awesome video on YouTube that we could all benefit from. It's by Earl Nightingale. It's called the greatest secret in the world. He was like a 1950s motivational guy, like one of the first it's in like black and white and he defines success as the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Mm. And I would say that's, for me, that's kind of how I view it. I have a vision of the life that I'm creating, and I also have an obligation to be present and enjoy the creation. And am I daily moving closer to those things? And you can use the tangible things as like benchmarks along the way. Like it's, you know, for me, it was like, Get a black belt in jujitsu and open up your own school and write this book and start the coaching practice and all those things. But I think it's always been centered around who am I becoming? And I have sort of centered in on this idea that, again, is a Petersonism of if you want a meaningful life, adopt responsibility. So I am now viewing success through the can you adopt responsibility in a way that serves others? And can you enjoy the process of doing so? And in a perfect world, it's aligned with your soul and your passions. I like that. What advice would you give for someone who's lacking that direction, right? Like you're 22 years old. You just got your first job out of college. You haven't left your house in two years. Like clearly yeah. this is yeah. not what you signed up for, right? You didn't spend four years and a hundred something thousand dollars to do basically nothing. So like what, what, what would you like, what's like a, a piece of advice that you give someone who feels like rudderless or lost? Yeah. Yeah. And so this is why I love that idea of the hero. It's so useful. So there's this really old story uh, about the Knights at a round table and the Holy grail appears before them, but it's covered in this cloth. So they really can't see it. And they say, I'm going to go off on a quest. Um, we're going to find the Holy Grail. So they ride off into the forest adventurous and they freeze at the forest edge. And this is where like, it hits home. The, the story goes, and the knights split up and each knight went into the forest where it was darkest to him. And the idea is because if you're on the path, you're on someone else's path. Mm. And the only way you're going to find your unique pathway to bliss is through living your own unique life. And my advice would be, to embody the archetype of the hero. Now, what the hell does that mean, right? So the hero is the one who voluntarily confronts the unknown with the assumption that there's benevolence out there, that I'm going to go find it. So you go on this journey of going into the unknown where you're not strong, 
to acquire information, to acquire strength. Now, that how do you apply that directly to your life? So in mythology, there's this like motif of the hero and the adversary. And I think the simplest codification of this is again from Peterson. The hero is the one who pays attention, explores, and creates something useful. Whereas the adversary is the one who looks away. And I would just say that, are you paying attention or are you looking away? So if you have the awareness to be, I'm 22 years old, I'm stuck at home, I'm not happy, but you're paying attention to the fact that you're not happy, then you've already started stage one of a hero's journey. Because now you're going to figure out what your happiness is. But if you look away from that, if you ignore that, if you say everything's okay, when in your soul it's not, that's when you kind of wall yourself off into this tomb where you just slowly die. So it would be to pay attention. And if you're paying attention, just know that like the best prescription of all of mythology, of all of humanities, of all of religion is to voluntarily go off into the unknown in search of its benevolence. And that may be looking for a new job. That may be picking up a new hobby. Dude, it may even be going on a dating app and looking for the partner. You know, like maybe your hero's journey involves Tinder. I, I don't know, but <laughs> you'll know, right? If yeah. you answer that question and I think paying attention. And it's a lot harder than it sounds. I like that because the premise hits home very strongly because while I was doing all these things of basically chasing dollar signs in my 20s, I was also looking for creative outlets, right? Like I was writing for Elite Daily and all these online publications and I was doing it as like a quote unquote hobby, but I didn't realize that it played such a huge like uh you know, had such a huge impact on my life. Like I was so much more hyper-focused on like, oh, how many likes did that article get? Or like how many shares did it get? And then you start realizing, well, in hindsight, right? I didn't at the time. But now when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, how did that not register to me that I wanted to be doing anything else than what I was doing? I was so focused on the thing that wasn't my job that was giving me happiness, that was filling me up, and I was like ignoring it. I was like, I like that. That's a, <laughs> it's a very, very good premise. And I think something that I, you know, would have been good to have learned, you know, a decade ago for sure. Um, I think I, I live like a very free life in that I, I have started, you know, really focusing hyper on like the success of the people around me. Like I constantly want to see other people succeed, and I'm constantly inspired by just literally anyone taking a chance in life, like whether they're an artist or uh, an actor, actress, musician, uh, photographer, whatever, like I, I can get like my cup filled by someone else's success. And 10 years ago, I would have been like super jealous and super like envious of someone else's ability to be successful. Um, but I'm curious what inspires you and like what kind of fills your cup up from like a, an external perspective. You and anybody that is doing exactly what you just said, where it's so easy to become embittered by experience and to look at the accomplishments of others and just only let them highlight your own inadequacy. But when you can genuinely feel joy for the successes of others and service for me, like that idea that service is love made visible, like, bro, I'm going to go into the school in a couple hours and our, we've got this tiny tykes program, which is three and a half <laughs> to five and a half. And man, little kids, right? And you just see the parenting happening on a moment to moment basis. And I know mom or dad worked a job they were not happy about. I know they're <laughs> underslept. I know they're exhausted. And yet they always have that reservoir of love and strength to do the right thing by their kids. And that inspires me so much. This idea of 
in the particular confines of your life, doing your best to serve others through whatever medium it is, whether it's parenting, whether it's photography, whether it's just helping an old lady across the street, like it's really easy to make things worse. And I think there are a lot of people right now making things worse and it's very difficult to make things better. So anyone that makes things better and that has not lost their soul along the way, <laughs> those are the ones that inspire me. I like that. Yeah. It's, I, I've, I've also uh, started um, kind of being honing in on the, on the notion that it's never too late, like for literally anything. Like mm-hmm. I used to be, very, very of the mindset that like, oh, I can do that tomorrow and or like I'll worry about that down the road. And like then after you have like the kind of two years that everyone has kind of experienced, you realize that's not the best way to live. Like realizing that you don't really necessarily have this guarantee, I think has been a huge, huge uh, kind of pivot point for me in that like I'm no longer putting off tomorrow what I could accomplish today, um, which I've found to be very, very important. Um, just on like my day to day life for sure. Bro, that's beautiful. Do you find yourself, uh, so like I have maybe the biggest two to three months ahead of me coming up life-wise. Like I've got a huge podcast dropping next week with a former NFL player. I'm getting published in February for uh, a magazine and I've got like all these like huge, thank you. I've got like all these huge, um, like things that I've like worked really hard for in the last couple months, kind of you know coming to a culmination. Um, there is a part of me that is trepidatious of the success that I am going to be experiencing over the next say sixty to ninety days. Um, yeah. It's not fear of the success; it's more fear of the what now. And I talk about the what now a lot in life because I got to a point a couple years ago where I was like, "Well, what the fuck do I do now?" Right? I lost my job in the middle of a pandemic, and I had little, literally no idea what to do with my life. And it sort of feels like I'm entering a very similar kind of season where I will have accomplished everything that I had put forth for myself within a certain period of time, and then now I'm reaching that whoa, I did it what now kind of aspect. Yeah. How do yeah. you deal with that accomplishment of your 13th novel you just completed or hitting that next threshold of the amount of kids that you want in a class? How do you kind of take that positivity and allow that to grow into the next kind of goal or you know level that you would like to see yourself achieve? Yeah. And that's the problem, right? With this model of I'm working toward a goal because when you get there, you just need a new goal. And that it's biologically true because that's the way we're built. And I think Carl Jung hit the nail on the head on this one. We talked about this idea of circumambulation. Now, what that means is if you imagine water flowing down a drain, it starts in a big arc. And as it gets to the drain, that arc gets smaller and smaller and smaller until you get to the center. And he said, that's what it's like for the development of ourself, of our soul. And I view it as each time around that circle is a death and rebirth, right? So You achieved your goal, right? You were reborn into those things you wanted to become, but your journey isn't done. Mm -hmm. You still have to go around the circles. So now it's time for another death and rebirth. And you continue to do that until you hit the center. And then here's the brilliant part of this whole thing. The center, the self that you're aiming at, what the the Johnest John that ever John, whatever (laughs) it is you're trying to become, it recedes as you get closer to it. Because as you get more potential, there's more potential John in the future. So I've kind of viewed it as when I make one time around the bend and it's time for another death and rebirth, I'm just 
one step closer to the inevitability of whatever it is I'm becoming. And it's useful because if you think of if you think of it like on a physical plane, when you journey, you have an idea that, okay, over there is better than here. So you go there. But now that you're there, you have a different viewpoint, a different vantage point. So you can see your life differently, but you're also different because you journey, because of what you became on the way. And our life is a series of those point A to point B, C, D. But the idea is that each of those, the next journey is actually smaller and more specific as you hone in on what it is you're aiming at. Like the the new rebirth that you're going to go on now after these 60 to 90 days is going to be a much smaller rebirth than say the one you went on two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're funneling in toward what it is you're supposed to be, I just have faith in the process of each death is going to lead to a better rebirth. I like that. That's pretty good. I'm going to use that. I definitely think I'm going to steal that. That's pretty good. Thank you, Please Carl do, Young. <laughs> um, that's pretty good. I like uh, I like to spend the last bit of every podcast doing like a little bit of a rapid fire questions. Um, some are easy, some are a little in depth, a little bit harder. Um, just you know, f- top one or two things that kind of come into your mind and and just kind of like what you think about when uh, when I ask questions. So first question is, what is your favorite book? Maps of Meaning, Jordan Peterson. Okay. Um, what's your favorite movie? The Matrix. Ooh, nice. New one coming out very soon. Yeah. I, I hope it's good. I'm very hopeful. <laughs> That's a deep breath. <laughs> Listen, I love The Matrix growing up. I like I, I own all three of them and I watched them, I would say definitely once a year. Like I think they were just like revolutionary and it hit us when we were at like a the perfect age, right? We we're fifteen or fourteen or something, like the perfect age for those movies. I'm not really sure what's left for them as storytellers to tell within this universe. So I'm very curious to see what it's like. I have probably low expectations, which means I should like it more, which is my hope. <laughs> Love that. I'm going to go into it with the same approach. Yeah. What, uh, what's your favorite food? A good steak. Mm, same for sure. Um, do you believe in an afterlife? I think that would require a longer conversation. Uh, short. I can't even give a short answer. That may have to be our next conversation. <laughs> Sold. I'm okay with that. Um, what is your biggest fear? Not fulfilling my potential and missing out on the beauty of this place for not having done so. Hmm. What's your biggest dream? To live alone on a mountain with my wife and children and dogs. That sounds fun. I like that. <laughs> um, how do you overcome regrets? By using them to fuel better decisions today. Oh, that's good. Um, what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? In regards to material wealth. The driveways get longer, the fences get taller, but nothing changes. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Um, what is your best piece of advice uh, for someone hearing you for the first time on this podcast? To really seek to understand the hero narrative. And there are so many ways to do it through Jordan Peterson, through Carl Jung through my work, but I deeply believe that regardless of the particulars of your life, if you embody the behavioral process of the archetypal hero, 
you maximize your chances of achieving and fulfilling whatever it is you want to do. Uh, what if you don't view yourself as like the quote unquote main character in your own story? You know, that's like a meme thing now. Like, oh, I'm not, you yeah. know, I knew yeah. I wasn't the main character because blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that's a great question, bro. Uh, I would ask why, because you're the only one in your head. And, and I imagine if you sit quietly alone in the room on a long enough timeline away from Instagram, just with yourself, <laughs> probably reorient pretty quickly i would agree with that very very deeply (laughs) um what's one recommendation you have for everyone uh listening today on something that you've recently consumed could be a movie you watch tv show podcast book you read just something that you've recently finished that you think everyone should take a look at i guess it would be that that question we brought up of like is there a chance et cetera, et cetera, for me and my own health relative to food, because I use food as a sort of a, I view being inside as punishment and food is my reward for, all right, if I'm going to be inside, I'm at least <laughs> going to enjoy it and eat something that tastes good. Asking the question of whatever your bad habits are, is there a chance I've had enough drugs for a lifetime? Is there a chance I've had enough Snicker bars for a <laughs> lifetime? And just keep asking that question without judgment. And I've found that I've said yes to that question much sooner than if I've been chastising myself as opposed to just asking, is there a chance you're ready to shut off the TV? That's good. I like that. I I am actually going to start implementing that a lot because, um, I I have started kind of doing that like through things like intermittent fasting and like, uh, timers on my phone for like application use and stuff. And I've, I've noticed it have a a very great and uh, positive impact on just like my day, right? Like the less time I spend on my phone, typically the happier I am. (laughs) Um, yeah, sad, but true. Uh, Chris, dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I greatly, greatly, greatly enjoyed our chat. Um, for sure. Can't wait to do it again. I have a very cheesy line. Uh, if you've been on my podcast, you're now part of my family. So welcome. I'm very happy to have you. I uh, am very appreciative of your time and I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Man, I appreciate it. It was a pleasure to speak with you. You as well. Uh, this was an absolute joy. Thanks. Take care. <laughs>